Welcome back to episode four of Off the Grid and in the Stands, a Notre Dame football podcast uh, brought to you by two crazy over-the-top Notre Dame fans who think to seem that we have all the knowledge in the world. Uh, this is, of course, made by the fans and for the fans. And today we are joined by a very special guest, the recruiting coordinator and special teams coordinator of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, uh, Brian Pullian. Brian, uh, thanks for coming on. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Uh, so little a uh, little background, Coach Pullian, for many of you who know, uh, he used to coach in the Charlie Weiss era from 2005 to 2009. He then went to Texas A&M, then was named the head football coach of the Nevada Wolfpack, and was brought back on the staff in 2017 to become the special teams coordinator and recruiting coordinator. Uh, coach, if you want to just say a little bit about, uh, about yourself, kind of what's going on right now, um, and just kind of your brief... Uh, history with all that you can obviously provide much greater detail than i can that would be uh, fantastic <laughs> well first of all uh i'm a coach's kid my my dad actually got his start as a high school history teacher uh football and baseball coach gotcha. what i'm doing right so what i'm doing right now is actually uh the same passion my father started with now he ended up in personnel and spent 30 years in the NFL and concluded his career in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So the uh, the, the twists and turns that his career path took obviously ended up uh, in the right way. But um, I have never wanted to do anything other than coach. I don't know if that makes me simple. I don't know if it makes me lucky, um, but probably a combination of both. But the reality of it is uh, I've never wanted to do uh, anything other than what I'm doing. And, and I'm very blessed to have been in so many places from uh, Buffalo to, to Baylor to UCF. Uh, really caught my, my first big break when Charlie Weiss hired me uh, here at the age of 29 and have had an opportunity to be a head coach. Hope to get a, another opportunity at some point. But uh, in the moment, uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, Notre Dame, I, I as emotionally connected as an employee can be with with you know the university works at. I absolutely love this community. I love the university, what it stands for, and I love our players. So um, very excited about our future. Love the the group of kids that we get to work with, and and really um, consider myself very lucky to get to do this day in and day out. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. Certainly, certainly looks to be uh, some that a lot of people uh, certainly can look up to. And I know me and Jack have similar aspirations at times, and we all, you know, wish we could be in that boat. But um, so, yeah, we just got we just got some questions today, and we're just gonna go through some fairly casual stuff, and we'll we'll see where it goes after that. Um, my questions are a little sort of out of order, I guess you will, not chronologically going, but the first one I have, I've always kind of wondered this, um, is can you shed a little light on how uh, things were different versus when you worked under Charlie Weiss versus uh, how it is uh, with Coach Kelly? Sure. I mean, just in terms of the, the commitment to um, being on an equal playing field with with our, our competition, you know, there, when we were here with coach Weiss, we did not have training table. Like our players were running to South dining hall after practice, trying to get there before it closed. Uh, you know, there was never a situation where 
we said, okay, you know, we've got to feed our guys a little bit differently than just going to the cafeteria. Uh, the, the commitment to facilities, I mean, the, the, you know, the new indoor athletic center is a far cry from what it was like trying to practice inside of, um, oh, why am I blanking right now? What, what's the name of our old indoor? Um, I've been in that building too. Yeah. It's tiny. Well, just you couldn't, punt, you couldn't punt the ball. You didn't have a full uh, 100 yards. I mean, there there were challenges. Just the commitment from the universities to put us on an equal playing field with our competition. Um, the things that matter haven't changed. Our, the academic standards are still higher than a lot of uh, other places across the country. Our guys go to class. There is a commitment to... Um, making them a part of the student body. I mean, our players don't live in a separate dorm. They don't live off campus as freshmen. I mean, it's, you know, the, the core values of Notre Dame still have not changed, and we still fit into those core values. But the things that we just needed to get caught up on in terms of, of being able to compete with, with uh, you know, the top 10 or 15 programs in the country, those were much different when I came back with Coach Kelly. Yeah, I mean, certainly has uh, looked that way on the the win-loss column, too, uh, for sure, I'd have to say. I mean, it's been a fantastic turnaround. He's done some incredible things, for sure. Um, we just uh, we just wrapped up, obviously, uh, the season a few weeks ago um, with uh, playing Alabama in the Rose Bowl. Um, can I get just kind of your overall take on your thoughts on that game, kind of what went down, just hear it from your perspective, since you are obviously a lot smarter than, than we both are. Um, oh, I don't, I don't think that, that my perspective on the game is different than anybody else's. I mean, we, we, we played a competitive ball game against uh, one of the top teams in the last couple of years in college football. I mean, there are first round draft picks all over that roster. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, Obviously, it did not end the way we wanted to. We, we we struggled on the first couple of drives defensively, but thought that we really settled down nicely and 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 gave Alabama probably uh, more issues than anybody's given them throughout the course of the year. Offensively, I, I thought we did a nice job on the line of scrimmage. We we can you know we controlled the uh, you know at points I felt like we controlled the the time of possession, but you can't settle for field goals and, and we got to protect the ball. But, you know, in the end, I don't think that's anything different than how coach Kelly felt or anybody else felt. I mean, that was a great, great football team that we played. We came up short. We're not happy about it. And we got to figure out how to, how to turn the corner and get caught up with the, you know, top three or four teams in the country. Now, you know, we belong in the top 10, um, you know, what do we got to do now to take the next step? That's that's what we got to get figured out. Yes, right. And I agree. I mean, we, I definitely think you can make the case that we played them a lot better than Ohio State did. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that was definitely a game where I didn't ever – I was not watching and I'm like – we didn't really get like out physical, you know, like that was our offensive line. I mean, totally we're pushing those guys around and, you know, I just, it just ended up coming down to, they made a little more plays with their guys who are, I mean, all world, like Devonta yeah. and Najee and, and Mac Jones. I mean, it's just, it's too, 
it's it's almost impossible if you look at it. I mean, one way. I mean, you had you like you said one of the best teams in I don't know how long, probably the last decade in college football, if not all time. Well, obviously, yeah, obviously they were immensely talented, and and you know our job is to figure out how to stop those guys. Right. Yeah, I was I was telling Campbell that uh, the one play where uh, uh, Najee hurdled uh, Nick McCloud, he act the play actually was, I mean the defensive line had a push. It's yeah. just him making a play. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, and often when a guy gets hurdled, it's because the corner, you know, dove in ankles or knees. I mean, Nick, I mean, he jumped him. He jumped over a man that was not standing straight up and down, but wasn't wasn't on the turf either. And, oh, and I know. Look, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was an unbelievable play, and you know, just one of those nights. Right. Exactly. And that uh, so that leads into one of my next questions: Is what? Uh, so what do you what do you think in your in your eyes what what the next step needs to be what is what's something we can do now to turn the corner that is going to be that we can kind of just you know cross off and say okay like we did this that's one step in the right direction. Well, I, I think it's it's always a process. It never it never stops. It's a, a matter of continuing to recruit the best student athletes that we can. Uh, I think obviously. Um, you know, we've been really good on a lot of scrimmages. We've got to continue to recruit very good skill and perimeter flares. But in the end, too, the other thing is we've got to find the best players we can find that fit the mission of Notre Dame. I mean, um, you've got it, it takes a certain type of person to want to be here. It takes a certain type of person that actually wants to go to class and 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 you know, understand that the best decision for your future may not always be the easiest one. And, um, but you know, it's a never ending process. It's not one thing. It's, it's a series of things that we have to work on on a daily basis. But, um, you know, college football, you know, college athletics at, at any level is, is about personnel and we got to continue to recruit our tails off and, and get the best players we can get that fit the mission of Notre Dame. Gotcha. Yep. And uh, certainly, obviously we're starting, we're getting, we're off in a, on a good fit with Marcus Freeman too. So I wanted to ask you kind of how is, uh, how is he fitting in so far um, on the staff and uh, what's kind of your, your take on how he's recruiting. He's obviously off to a fantastic start with some of these offers he's got and, you know, landing flipping Tyson Ford already was an absolute win. So just kind of what do you think about that and how do you think he's going to continue to improve? Well, NCAA rules do not allow me to ever address a specific recruit that's unsigned. So as it relates to any prospect that, that we're currently recruiting, I'm not going to talk about those guys specifically. Um, in terms of, of how is Coach Freeman uh, doing since he arrived here, and there, first of all, he's, it's a great hire. He's, he's a tremendous person. He understands what makes Notre Dame unique, and he embraces that, wants to be a part of it. Um, he's got a terrific family, and, and we'll be excited to, to welcome them into our community. Um, like Coach Lee, he is very relationship-driven. Uh, so in terms of the culture of the defense here, I, I don't think it'll be that big a leap. I mean, uh, he believes in, in, in bringing everybody together in the same way that Clark did. So that transition should be relatively easy for, for our players. Uh, 
as it relates to recruiting, recruiting, there are no superstars in recruiting. Recruiting at this level is, is always by committee. Um, it's, it's a collective effort from the head coach on down. Uh, there's no doubt that, that coach Freeman, coach Mickens, uh, you know, coach Elston, all the guys that have been around over the last two weeks that have been grinding through tape and, and reaching out to guys. Certainly I think, um, you know, People on the outside looking in probably feel like we've picked up the tempo here over the last couple of weeks, but that was done by design. Uh, we we got to you know we, we got some time here to settle up in a staff room for a couple hours a day and pour over tape and get guys uh, you know on the on the on the phone to call us and 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 I feel like we've been productive. But again, um, it's it's a collective effort. And we are just at the beginning stages of of building this 22 class for a long way from home. Right. Yep. And so what is, um, I don't know if I've ever even, if I ever even asked you this, but, um, so what is, how much of that? So I would assume you, uh, actually, I don't know. So I'm going to ask you, so do you oversee all of the recruiting or are you just involved on a few, a few specific kind of, uh, people and, or, you know, kind of what's your role in the whole off season recruiting process? Uh, I'm involved in the, in the beginning stages of, of, of every recruitment. Um, my job is to help uh, see the board through the head coach's eyes, and, and I am Coach Kelly's eyes and ears on the daily operation of, of recruiting. Um, ultimately, he's got 51% of the vote. He's got the final decision on anything that we do. But but I think my experience, uh, having been a head coach previously, I can kind of see things. The other, the other part of this is, as the special teams coordinator, I don't have a dog in the fight in terms of offense and defense. So I'm here to make sure that, that both sides of the ball are managing their roster numbers and that we're just kind of staying on track. That's all. Uh, as it relates to the recruitment of specific prospects, the attitude of our staff is that we have a, a, a person responsible for that geography. We have a person uh, obviously the position coach, the coordinator, the head coach, but ultimately you don't ever know who's going to have the best connection with any specific recruit. And for us, it's pragmatic. It's not about, Hey, I'm an assistant coach that signed this many players. The only thing that matters to us is uh, that we get the best players on our roster and we don't care who gets the credit for it. And, and if, one coach has a better connection than another, then that coach will take the lead in recruiting. And ultimately we do it, you know, it's a collective effort always. Gotcha. Gotcha. I understand that. Um, so you are largely responsible for, uh, setting up the Hawaiian pipeline, um, in layman's terms. And so just kind of want to ask, uh, can you give us a little background on that, kind of how all that started and, uh, how you're, plan on continuing to keep pulling you know those fantastic prospects out of uh hawaii down there well it's it, recruiting is like anything else it's driven by relationships and and you know when you know when i was here under coach weiss we made the decision that we we're going to actively recruit um manti and and i spent you know about a year and a half flying you know 10 hours from Chicago O'Hare to, to Honolulu and uh, just built some good relationships out there. And, and in the end, we were lucky enough that, that Manti chose to come to Notre Dame and really that opened the door for other Hawaiian players because um, that community, uh, 
the, the Polynesian um, connections. Uh, the, the, the Polynesian culture is very driven by uh, relationships and, and hey, uh, you know, if one family has a good experience, they will say, they will tell other families, hey, listen, he had a great experience there. And, and it's really, you know, Manta's recruit, recruitment made us a legitimate option for players from Hawaii. More have come, have been successful, and it really has now become a place where guys know that they'll be taken care of, that they're going to receive a great education, that they can play on a huge stage, all that stuff. Uh, matters and it's it's just you know it's just taking time that's all yep so were you uh building off that were you largely responsible for alohi coming here did you have any play in that because of his uh being you know from uh from hawaii yeah it was it was myself and mike alco at the time but um i i was the point person there because uh alohi grew up in the same town on the North Shore, Laie, as Manti and Robbie, and and had known them, had known Robbie Toma and, and Manti since he was a kid. So um, yeah, there were connections there. But ultimately, again, um, Alohi chose Notre Dame because of Mike Elko and because of Brian Kelly, and I was just kind of there to guide it along. Right, right. Yeah, I can always I always forget about Robbie Toma too. That was he was always one of my favorites. He was a that guy was a heck of a ball player. He, he was a good player. Yep. Yep. All right. So let's see. Let's see what else. We're gonna I, take I got a. I got a question here, Campbell. Yeah. Based on like when you're evaluating, like say a recruit, do you ever take into account like the division uh, or state that he plays in? Like say Texas, the highest stage of Texas high school football versus say in Indiana, where it's less competition. You would say, like, does that go into effect? Like, hey, this guy plays at a high level in Texas compared to Indiana, or is it Yes, matter? no, it matters. Absolutely, level of competition matters. Now, you can't hold that against a recruit because he's got no he's got no c- control over that. Yeah. But if, if you say to a guy, hey, you know, this this guy's playing in, in, in a, against a level of competition that's not great, then our expectation is that he is going to dominate that level of competition in order to play here and there are other times that you know boy how fast is this guy and then you see him playing for example um in 6a state you know in 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 6a ball and in texas you say well there's a lot of speed on that field um so yeah all those things factor in but yeah yeah to answer your question level of competition does factor in when you're evaluating Okay, so coach, want to know too. Um, so every year, once you go into the off season, um, are you setting up? I was actually that's yeah. So obviously, yeah, you are, you are setting up a new recruiting board um, year to year. But how far in advance do you kind of set those up, and what kind of just kind of take us through kind of just what the beginning stages are like of you know setting up your board, and then kind of what you're looking for is your kind of first thing uh, when you start to put players on the board. Well, yeah, the, the recruiting board gets set up usually about 24 months in advance. I mean, we're usually about, you know, anywhere between 24 and 18 months. Um, you know, they'll start to, names will start to go up on the board. Um, we are not a program that likes to just shotgun out offers. I mean, we're going to be very deliberate and we're going to be very uh, methodical uh, about what we do. Um, 
the first step in the evaluation process is actually academics because uh, if a guy's not close to what we're looking for academically, anything done after that point is actually a waste of time, energy, and resources. So the first thing that we're going to look at if we're interested in the guys, what does this transcript look like? Now, they're not all the finished product. We get that. And there are times that you let a guy know, hey, listen, if you want this, you have to do X, Y, Z for us. Um, after that, it's film evaluation. And what do we see on tape? What do we like? And then the next thing is, how can we confirm measurables, which in this digital age has gotten a little bit easier, but, you know, a lot of guys will list themselves at 6'3", and you meet them in person, he's 6'1". So uh, <laughs> a lot of guys list themselves at 4'5", um, and then, you know, you've got to be able to track down uh, combine times. Does he run the 100 meters and track? You know, all those different ways. Can we confirm the measurables? Uh, has he been on our campus? For example, if a prospect comes to a Notre Dame game on an unofficial visit, we will still hide and wait them just so that, that we have confirmed uh, measurables. Uh, and then lastly, uh, if we like the tape, if we can confirm the measurables, we like the academics, we're going to then talk to as many people as we can surrounding the prospect, the head coach, the counselor, the teacher, who, who in the building can give us a picture of, of what this young man is like in person. And, and until all those questions are answered, uh, it's unlikely that we would go all in on a guy until we, we have a pretty good picture of who they are because ultimately fit is so incredibly important here. There are guys that are great players, that are good people, that may just not want what Notre Dame has to offer. Some guys don't want 20 people in the classroom. They want to be take classes online or be in a lecture hall with 500 kids. That's not who we are. So, um, you know, determining fit directs where we go on the board because we cannot waste our energy. We cannot waste our time on guys that don't fit at Notre Dame because if they don't fit, they're not going to pick us. Yeah. I mean, that certainly makes a whole ton of sense. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just uh, – I certainly did not know was that – that I mean, obviously, yes, you know, it's pretty pretty in-depth. But, you know, I didn't know all the – talking to even, like, their, their school counselors. That's kind of that's kind of wild. Um, well, it's, 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 it's interesting. Sometimes fans will say, well, hey, this guy's from this state, and he's got all these offers, yet Notre Dame hasn't offered him. You know, why don't they know about it? What are they getting wrong? Like, I would tell you – Nine times out of ten, we don't. We do know who the guy is, and and if we haven't offered him, there's usually a reason why. And so, it's you know, our our place like Northwestern, like Stanford, like Vanderbilt, it's unique, and it's not for everybody, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think uh, Jack, you probably can agree to that. I think we've had our fair share of like, how how can we haven't offered this guy, or you know, I mean, stuff like that, yeah. and yeah, I mean that. That makes sense for sure. I get that. Um, so what about like if you have a guy, say five-star, you really want him, but then you have a guy who um, say you're his best offer, Notre Dame's his best offer, uh, how different is the recruiting pitch um, to kind of a, say a, a three-star with a lot of hopes of going to Notre Dame versus you know, battling out in a recruiting battle with uh, you know the Blue Bloods? Well, it, the, the difference in the recruiting process is not – uh, 
is not differentiated by how an outsider perceives them. Like, you know, Drew Tranquil was a three star. How did he turn out? Like, right. it's like, you know, it, the, the, the value is how we see it, not how anybody else sees it. And then ultimately, it's every prospect is different. Every recruitment is different. What is important to that family? And then how can Notre Dame meet their needs? The minute we start giving cookie cutter um, presentations to, to each kid, uh, there's nothing personal about that. I mean, recruiting is incredibly personal. We have to figure out what it is that each prospect is looking for and then show them, educate them as to why we can meet those needs and we can meet them better than uh, any other school in the country. And and those needs are individual to each recruit. So it's, it's uh, yeah, are there some guys that want Notre Dame and have their whole life? Sure, that process is always a little bit easier, but there are five stars that feel that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are three stars that, you know, you'd be shocked at how many kids tell you, hey, yeah, I know a little bit about Notre Dame. Like I saw Rudy and I know you're on TV and that's all they know. They don't know that at one point, you know, in the last year or so, we were the 15th ranked academic institution in the entire country. So that's our job. That's our job is to educate prospects as to, you know, if a guy says to me, hey, coach, I'm from California and I don't want to go far away from home. Well, then look, then you know, I can't move to school. BK's got a lot of juice, but, you know, he can't get the university moved out of Indiana. So, you know, often we have to ask questions, listen to the answers, figure out what it is that's important to the prospect, and then determine whether or not we can meet those needs. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense because I'd have to imagine that, you know, that's definitely a – how much – how often do recruits, yeah, kind of like ask you for some sort of like favor, if you will, in order to like get them? Now that's not to hint at something like illegal. No, it's saying like no. <laughs> uh, that stuff doesn't happen here. Um, anybody who gets recruited by us knows that that we are going to uh, follow the rules. And look, there's always uh, a hiccup here and there as it relates to Notre Dame. Those things are always minor. Um, the, the NCAA rule book is two inches thick, so uh, occasionally you're going to have a mistake. But, um, you know, guys that are looking for things in recruiting are not going to ask us because they know that's not the world that we live in. Right, right. So um, have you ever had Have you had a favorite recruitment process out of all the guys you've uh, gone after? I mean, obviously, um, Obviously, Manti, I mean, that recruitment was long. It was arduous. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that it concluded with he really did not know what he was going to do. Um, I had written him a long email, but I, I know uh, he was he kind of shut everybody off. So his dad read the email that I sent to him on his voicemail and he listened to it in a moment of of. Uh, he was looking for a quiet moment, saw a message on his phone and his dad had read the email that I had sent to him that, and, and frankly, uh, recruiting man sites in Notre Dame changed my career. It yeah. took me from Bill Polian's son to Brian Polian, the guy that just helped recruit the number one defensive player in the country, uh, from Hawaii to Notre Dame. So 
that changed my career and for that I'm forever grateful. But I feel a connection to every player that I've ever recruited. Kyle McCarthy from Youngstown, who, who was a captain and a safety here, who now serves as uh, part of the group that represents me. And, and Kyle is, you know, one of my closest friends in the world. I mean, you know, that relationship started with me recruiting him out of high school to come to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, so every one of those is unique. I mean, Marist, Leofau, um, you know, you know, people don't understand the leap that Marist took to, to come here. Um, you know, just there, there's so many, uh, Jared Patterson, you know, I was recruiting Jared Patterson and trying to convince him to come to Notre Dame when Harry Heastan had left for the Bears. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, we're trying to get a guy, an old lineman to come to Notre Dame without a, a, an old line coach. And, and, you know, Jeff Quinn came in and finished the thing off and, Coach Kelly did an unbelievable job, but you know those stories, those relationships—they're so cool. But uh, you know that's not unique to Notre Dame. It's every, every coach who loves college football, who loves relationships, will have stories just like it. You know, just at other schools. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd imagine that. Uh, certainly, though, the Manti recruitment seemed like it was since it was an incredible story. You know, follow back then, and certainly. Uh, turned out quite well for both parties involved i'd say so um yeah yeah uh now so we're just going to get into some more of, with our time left just some more anecdotal stuff so kind of like uh who's been your favorite guy to coach on or guy you've loved having to on uh on special teams for you, you know like guys like claypool who made such a crazy impact being an elite skill guy who was able to kind of do it both ways on special teams as well uh, my favorite guy, and this is really the favorite guy in my – I've had two guys in my career, like my whole career, that I've just loved. The first one was, was Ben Molina, who was a, a backup running back at Texas A&M. But in my one year there, we, we won the Cotton Bowl. Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. Ben started on all four units and was as reliable and as good a player as I'd ever been around. And then – the, but my all-time favorite guy on special teams to ever coach has been um, Bo Bauer. I just his yes. and <laughs> his energy, his want to, how much he loves it, how hard he studies it, how hard he works at it. I mean, I and Mike Canelo was great, but Mike size-wise couldn't couldn't play on all four units, and and you know. David Bruton, who ended up playing in the league nine years and winning the Super Bowl just because he was special. But, but, but David, you know, was a great cover guy. But, like, Bo is on every unit. He's a leader. He loves it. He makes our meetings better. Like, he's if, if I could have 11 of him on every unit, my job would be easy. Yeah. He's, uh, no, I actually, I, I sent him a DM one time actually just because I was like, dude, I absolutely love your energy on special teams. Like, he's just, it's awesome. I mean, he's constantly, every time he makes a tap, you know, he's running straight to the fans and getting, he's just, he's full tilt, full time. It's awesome. It's, uh, yeah, he's great. Very happy you say that. <laughs> Is he your favorite player, Campbell? He's up there, I think for sure. I always have just loved him since, you know, he committed here, but, Definitely his way he plays on special teams because I always, I totally under or special teams are vastly underappreciated. And when you have guys who can ball out on special teams, I think it's monumental at times. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Jack, you got anything, man? I mean, I'm glad I, I got all my stuff answered. So. I, I, I never, I never knew you coached Texas A and M. Was that fun watching Johnny Menzel in that one year? When we came out of spring football, Johnny was not the starter. Uh, the starter was Jameel Showers, and um, oh, I remember him. <laughs> uh, Cliff Kingsbury was our offensive coordinator. Um, uh, Kevin Sumlin was the head coach, and that staff had a bunch of really good coaches. It was our first year in the SEC. That was as fun a year as I've ever had in coaching because nobody expected us to do anything. We had, I think they were 7-5 and five the year before in the Big 12. We were making the jump to the SEC. You know, everybody said, oh, you know, they're going to get their heads handed to them. And, um, you know, halfway through training camp, it was just so obvious that Johnny – could make these plays with his feet and be creative and do all these things that we had to play him. And um, we lost our first game to a hurricane. So we, I think our first game was against Florida at home. And we lost in a very tight ball game. And we ended up also losing to LSU in a very tight ball game. But in that season, went to Bryant-Denny Stadium at Alabama and upset Alabama. And, um, in fact, the game ended uh, essentially with the Texas A&M punt team on the field. It was fourth and five, and we were about to punt the ball away to Alabama, who was going to have about 50 seconds to go. And Ben Molina, who I mentioned, was our personal protector on the punt team, and he got them to jump offside. And, they, you know, we were able to take a knee and end the game. Um but th- that year was just so cool because nobody expected us to do anything. We ended up 11 and two, won the Cotton Bowl, um, and and just it was a special fun ride that we caught lightning in a bottle. I also think it, it probably uh, set some unrealistic expectations in Texas A&M because <laughs> people kind of felt like, oh look, the SEC, this is not that hard. Yeah, but you know, it was just one of those years where um, you know, again, we caught lightning in a bottle. Right. Missouri also had that similar success for a couple of years in the SEC when they first got there. Yeah. Yes, no doubt. Maddie Mock and them. I would have forgotten about that, man. That was a pretty good team. Didn't they play in the SEC championship game? Yeah, they lost to Auburn. Yeah, yeah. Well, they played twice. They lost to Alabama as well the year after. Oh, yeah, they did. Man. Yeah, that's crazy how that can happen just for a quick few years. Um, so what in the last, uh, say, it's been four years since you were hired. Is that correct? Yeah. So what's what's been your best memory in those last four years? Well, uh, certainly beating Clemson's up there. I, I was, you know, obviously so happy for our players. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think I was I was sad in the sense that um, I remember what it was like here in 2005 when we were getting ready to play SC when they came in with. Liner and Reggie Bush and all those guys and the energy on the campus and 50,000 people at the pep rally in the stadium and the energy in the stadium. And unfortunately, this year, given the, the COVID restrictions and everything that we were going through um, to, to not our guys, not to have that energy all week and not uh, not to have 80,000 fanatical fans in the stands for that game. I, I'm disappointed for them. That that would have been unbelievable mm-hmm. had had things been normal and that game took place. Um, I, I, I would tell you my, my, my favorite memory or, or my favorite 
thing about being back really has been this season because the outside observer will never understand the sacrifices that our team and our staff made so that we could play this year and how hard it is to go through your entire year and not be able to go home and see your family and and to do the, all the things that we had to do in order to get through this season and the adversity that these guys went through. I really enjoyed being a part of, of this team. Uh, Coach, I've learned a lot from Coach Kelly's leadership. Um, I, I really had a very close and still have a very close relationship with Clark Lee. I'm, I'm excited for him, but obviously sad to see him go. We, we you know, but this, this, this to win 10 games, go undefeated again and, and, and appear in the ACC championship game when everybody's saying, Hey, you know, they wouldn't be this good if they join a conference and, mm-hmm. you know, all the nonsense that, that goes with being a Notre Dame as it relates to the outside voices, just this, this year was a lot of fun. It was trying, but it was incredibly rewarding as well. And, and the other thing I tell you is this pandemic, you know, last spring we went through the same thing as everybody else. I mean, we were, sequestered in our homes and and you know i took that time and ended up writing a book and and that book that book since was published in early december and and it's called um uh coaching and teaching generation z um it's available on amazon it's available on coacheschoice.com but it just gave me some time to evaluate what's most important in, in our profession, how can we better serve the student athletes and young people that we're working with? And, and, you know, upon all the reflection of my career and what do I, how are kids changing and what can I do better? And the single biggest thing I came away with is your generation. If we're going to reach them, we got to build relationships and we have to build relationships first before we can ever become teachers, before we can, you know, help people achieve to the highest levels. We got to be interested in them. We got to build relationships. We got to communicate. And and that is a skill that coaches need to work on. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And it's uh, all things considered, it was a tremendous success given everything that, you know, had to go down. And it was... uh, as fans too, you know, we were all just so grateful that we were even able to play one game and, you know, to go undefeated in the regular season and have the opportunity to play for a national championship this year was fantastic. And, um, with that, you know, we'll, we'll wrap things up here for everyone. Cause you know, coach is a busy person. He's got a lot to go get accomplished to get us, uh, that national championship we're looking for. So <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, coach Boyan for coming on. Thank you. Uh, for your time and for everyone out there, uh, go Irish.